Good morning. Oh, this is working. That's good. I'm Stephen, and it's a privilege to come to you this morning to talk about that passage that we have just heard, a passage packed full of theology. <laughs> uh, so we're going to just scratch at the surface perhaps today, but as we come to do that, let's bow our heads in prayer because we need the Lord's help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. We're so aware that we live in a messed up world. The big problems, the small problems. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for the hope that we have in you. And as we continue this series in Romans on overflowing hope, please stir our hearts and cause us to praise you safe in the security that you bring. Help us now as we study your word together. Open our hearts and our minds, I pray, and change us that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Are people good or bad? Are people good or bad? Well, you might say that's a stupid question. Of course, we're a mix of both, aren't we? We're good sometimes, we're bad sometimes. Let me put it another way. Are people basically good, but with a tendency to do bad stuff from time to time? Or are we basically bad with a capacity to do good stuff some of the time? Are we basically good? After all, God created us in his image. He said, this is very good. Or are we basically bad? We know that we live in a messed up world. Today, we have been celebrating mothers. We've been hearing great tributes to the women of our church, of our lives, of our community. Surely mothers will be on the basically good end of the spectrum, don't you think? We've been praying about some terrible situations. We continue to pray for Ukraine, and as you do so, I trust that you'll be praying for Russia and for people like Vladimir Putin. Surely he would be on the bad end of the spectrum, would you not think? Are we basically good or are we basically bad? Perhaps it depends, perhaps it is a spectrum. Uh, where am I on that spectrum? Where are you? Are shifts possible? Can we move towards greater goodness or greater evil? In what direction am I going? Uh, there's a famous quote from Martin Luther King who said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. In other words, he was saying that uh, there's a tendency over time for people and for situations to get better. Was he right? If he was right, then we have hope, surely. Everything is getting better over time. There might be the odd blip here and there, some pretty big ones at the moment, but if the tendency really is towards improvement and towards justice, uh, surely we should have hope. If you're like me, you're probably skeptical about that. You look around and you see things going from bad to worse. Not seeing improvements, but deterioration. More despair than hope. 
we've been reminded of Ukraine. Uh, Clive, thank you for reminding us of Afghanistan. Afghanistan hasn't gone away, nor have other trouble spots like Yemen, like Syria, uh, like Lebanon. Uh, this week, I was in Lebanon, a country which has seen uh, financial, economic, political collapse due to corruption, a country which is no stranger to war, a country in which people have now lost hope and are fearful for the future. And Sue, in her beautiful prayers, reminded us that it's not these, just these big situations, but it's the situations in my life, in your life, that we grapple with where we see uh, evil, where we trust that the Lord will bring goodness. We're continuing our series today in Romans on overflowing hope, and we all need hope. Not a naive hope, not an unrealistically optimistic hope, not a fantasy hope, but a hope that we can trust in, a hope that we can be certain of. And as we will see today, if we have been asking the question, am I good or bad? Are people basically good or basically bad? It turns out we've been asking the wrong question because it's not about stuff that I do or stuff that I could do. The question I should be asking is, who is my representative? Who am I in? Am I in Adam or am I in Christ? Am I an old creation or am I a new creation? Am I human 1.0 or human 2.0, the new creation? And as we explore this by looking at this passage in Romans chapter 5, uh, there will be possibility for despair as we see how hopeless the situation of humans is, but there is also overflowing hope at what Christ has made possible. So turn with me to Romans chapter 5 uh, from verse 12 to 21, packed <laughs> with truth, packed with dense theology, uh, but let's see if we can work out what's going on. Paul's theme so far in Romans has been righteousness. None of us is righteous, he tells us in chapter 3, quoting from the Psalms. Uh, yes, we were made in the image of God and declared to be very good, but we live in a messed up world. Jesus, Paul has explained, is the only righteous one, and he has made possible reconciliation with God. And as we've gone through these previous chapters over previous weeks, we've looked at rich theological themes of sin and righteousness, wrath and grace, faith, redemption, atonement, justification, reconciliation, all very long words. And here, in this passage today, uh, Paul is providing a summary of the story so far. He begins in verse 12 by saying, Therefore, in light of all that I have been teaching and saying, here is a summing up. Uh, he's pausing to take stock. He's stepping back to spell out with stark clarity the extent of our problem and the magnificence of the solution provided in Christ. This is God's big picture that Paul is giving us in these verses. And it's a picture which is shocking, but it's a picture which is overflowing with hope, a hope that our world so desperately needs. And the way Paul does this, you might have noticed as we had the reading, 
uh, is through a compare and contrast exercise. Compare and contrast. I don't know if you've been uh, online shopping for something like a laptop uh, or other uh, item where you have an option to compare different uh, models uh, or different items that you might be interested in. So you, you click on a few, and then you can see the specifications all lined up together. What is the screen size? What is the memory? What is the RAM? What is the uh, display type? What is the soundboard? Uh, what's the battery life? That's an important one, isn't it? Uh, how many USB ports are there? It's not so important now we have Bluetooth. Uh, you can see them all lined up together if you compare different products. And that's basically what Paul is doing in these verses. He has selected Adam, man 1.0, and he has selected Jesus, man 2.0, and he's providing a comparison. He says in verse 14 that uh, Adam was a pattern of the one to come, Jesus. Uh, he begins by saying, just as, and then he gets a bit carried, with him, carried away with himself, but then he returns to uh, so also in verse 18. Just as this, so also that. He's making a comparison. But it's very clear that this is not just like for like. This is a great contrast as well. In verse 15, he says, the gift is not like the trespass. So let's very briefly look at what he says these two people have in common, and then we will spend a little more time looking at the contrast, because that's where we have hope. So the things that he says uh, are common as he makes this comparison, uh, very basically, uh, in each case, Adam and Christ, each is one man. <laughs> that's straightforward enough. Uh, Adam uh, the first man, the, the word Adam in Hebrew actually means man. He's the head of all humankind. He's one man. And Christ, we know, is fully God, but the mystery of the incarnation is that he became fully man as well. Christ is also one man. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, puts it like this. He says, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. So we have this first comparison, they are both one man. The second comparison is that they each did something. Each of these men did something. And it's described in various ways as we go through these uh, verses, but for Adam, there was sin or trespass. For Christ, there was an act of righteousness. So there is one man, uh, each man did something. And thirdly, what they did affects all people. He spells that out very clearly in verse 18. Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all people. One man, one action wide-ranging implications for all people. And Paul has been talking about uh, Abraham in previous chapters. He has been writing, as you know, he's writing to a mixed audience of Jewish and Gentile believers. 
In taking us right back to Adam, he is saying that this applies to absolutely everybody. There is Adam and there is Christ. One man, one action, uh, an action that affects everybody. But even as we've looked at those very simple comparisons, we have seen contrasts. And that is uh, Paul's main focus. And that is the focus that we will have because that uh, is what brings us hope. But as he launches in, in verse 12... Uh, Paul says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. He then breaks off. Uh, He doesn't complete the comparison just yet. He doesn't provide the contrast just yet because he wants us to understand uh, this uh, predicament that humankind is in because of Adam. Adam sinned, and so death entered the world. We know that if we uh, look back in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, God said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God said, if you disobey, there will be death. Next chapter, Adam disobeys, death enters the world. But here's the shock. What Paul says here in verse 12 is that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. How could that be? (laughs) When Adam sinned, we all sinned. Some commentators have said, well, he's referring to a propensity to sin. We now have a sinful human nature. And that is certainly true. Um, I was made in God's image, yet I I can't help turning away from God, putting myself at the center of my world rather than putting God at the center. We all have uh, that (coughs) sinful nature. But Paul says that at the moment that Adam sinned, we also sinned. It's very striking that the verb he uses in the Greek indicates completed action. This is not just something we do uh, by force of habit. This is something that was completed. When Adam sinned, we sinned. And if we're in any doubt, Paul repeats it five times from verse 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. He says the same thing again and again. Uh, The many died by the trespass of the one man, verse 15. Verse 16 The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Verse 17, the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, the result of one trespass was condemnation for all people. And verse 19, the disobedience of that one man made many sinners. Paul is pretty clear. Somehow, when Adam sinned, We all sinned. And he breaks off his chain of thought to emphasize that this applies not just to those who break laws, the law that was given uh, to Moses. Uh, There in verse 13 and 14, he says it applies even before the law was given to those who knew no law. So how can this be? Surely that is unfair. Surely it is unfair for me, for us, to be implicated in the sin that Adam committed when he disobeyed God. Uh, In fact, one commentator, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that verse 12 here 
is the hardest teaching in the entire Bible. <laughs> the hardest teaching in the entire Bible. Perhaps the best explanation is to see uh, Adam as a representative figure. Uh, this is something that uh, societies like ours, which are very individualistic, struggle with. Uh, but if you're from a culture, from a society which is more community-based, you may understand this more readily. Uh, the leader being the representative. Adam represents all who follow him, and just as a clan leader represents all of the tribe, uh, tribe members are honored when the leader is honored, uh, tribe members are dis disgraced if the leader acts shamefully. Uh, that's probably what is going on here. Uh, because we are in Adam, when he sinned, we all accounted sinful. Uh, as I said, I was traveling recently in the Middle East. I was also in Egypt. And in Egypt, there's a very strong community culture. Uh, a lot of uh, honor and respect is given to the leaders. And if something bad happens to a leader, that affects everybody. <laughs> and I was given a small reminder of that in, in three of the meetings I had, each with a Christian ministry. And in each of those ministries, they've recently gone through a leadership transition with the old guy uh, moving on and a new guy taking over. But in each case, uh, the old leader is still around. They've created a new office for him, uh, and he still comes to work every day. Why do they do that? Well, it's because their identity is bound up in that leader, and they will be honored to the extent that that leader uh, maintains that connection and that oversight. Uh, if that leader were to go astray, the whole organization would be shamed. Uh, maybe people in P&O are thinking that at the moment. So Adam as a representative a representative figure in whom we find our identity for good or for ill. Adam sinned, we are in him, our representative, and so we all sinned. It's still difficult, isn't it, for us to get our head round, and I admit that I struggle with this. Uh, but let me mention three things that help as I grapple with this, this teaching, clear teaching that when Adam sinned, I sinned. Uh, first of all, there's the giga-yan principle, uh, not gigabytes, we're not still buying laptops. Giga-yan stands for God is God and you are not. God is God and you are not. It's a lesson I always have to remind myself of. Uh, we can't tell God what to do and we can't pick just the things that we like from the Bible. Uh, we need to accept that God is God, uh, you are not. Uh, secondly, I know that objectively this is true. If I look around, we see sin everywhere, and we see death everywhere. We're told that death entered the world because of that sin. Death hasn't gone away. As one commentator put it, we live in a world of cemeteries. That's quite macabre, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. We live in a world of cemeteries where people die. And that's a reminder that sin matters. Sin has an impact. We are all subject to death. But I think the, the most encouraging thing that I'm reminded of is that this is actually a compare and contrast exercise that Paul is taking us through. Just as this, so also that. And so if I deny that I sinned and am subject to death because Adam sinned, 
if I simply claim that I have a propensity to sin, it's something I do because of my human nature, then the necessary parallel is that Christ's gift of grace doesn't actually bring me life. It gives me an example to maybe do good things. Because this is a parallel, and because Paul is saying that we died in Adam, so he can also say we live in Christ. He spells it out in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. He says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's wonderful news. If we grasp how sinful we are, only then can we grasp how amazing God's gift is. As humans, we are all in Adam, human 1.0, all subject to physical death and all spiritually dead because a holy God cannot accept even a hint of sin. And in this state, we are counted dead, not just because we do bad things, but because we are in Adam. And so what amazing news as we turn to see the contrast with Christ, uh, human 1.0 and human 2.0, this is a contrast that shows us that in Christ, there is wholeness and there is life. Let's look very briefly at the uh, uh, main contrasts that Paul paints, and it's a, a complex narrative, but first of all, the contrast that he shows us in verse 15 and comes back to in verse 19 is the act, the thing that Adam did and the thing that Jesus did. Uh, it's a trespass versus the gift of grace and righteousness in verse 15. In verse 19, it's disobedience to God, that's the fall, versus Christ's obedience to God. Disobedience versus obedience. Uh, Christ's obedience was that obedience even unto death, death on the cross, for our sake. So that's the first huge contrast, disobedience versus obedience. The second contrast uh, is in the results of that act. Remember, one man, one act, uh, implications for everybody, uh, but very different implications. In verse 16 and again in verse 18, uh, we read that uh, Adam's trespass brought judgment and condemnation by God. But by contrast, Christ's act of righteousness, his obedience, brings justification. We're not condemned, but we are justified. We can stand right before God. Uh, verse 17 and verse 19 put it this way. They say that uh, sin and death were brought by Adam, but there is abundant grace and life in Christ. We are counted righteous because of Christ's righteousness. I'm not counted righteous because of my own righteousness, but with Christ as my representative, God looks at me and sees Christ and his righteousness, and therefore I can stand before God. And the results are lasting in verse 17 and in verse 21 as well. We see uh, that uh, Paul refers to the reign of sin and death, and then the reign of grace and righteousness and life eternal. So there's a huge contrast. Both 
have long-lasting implications, but one is the reign of death and sin. The other is grace and righteousness and eternal life in our Lord Jesus. Huge contrasts. But there's more. Paul emphasizes, too, the scale is different. The magnitude of what Adam did and what Christ have done also uh, are contrasted. In verse 15 and in verse 17, he says, how much more? How much more? Adam did this. How much more are the results of Christ's gift? Good news for us. And in verse 20, we have a summary. Uh, The law shows us that we are sinful, very sinful at that. But Christ's grace is even more powerful. Sin is great, but grace is greater. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more, Paul says in verse 20. We're struck by many scenes of sin and war and death as we watch our news. Are you also seeing pictures of hope? Did you see the video that the Bible Society of Ukraine put out of people reading uh, Psalm 31 in their basements? People for whom, in the face of great evil, they have understood that God's grace is even greater. They can have peace even in the midst of unthinkable violence. If for them, how much more too for us in the struggles that we face, in the challenges that we face, can we know that his grace is even greater than the sin that abounds all around us. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So the act is very different, the results are very different, the scale is different. But one final contrast before we think about what this all means for us is those affected. Who is affected? Well, all of us are affected, but notice the important difference. In verse 12, we are said that, uh, we're told that death came to all people because of Adam. And we know that. All of us have him as our representative. And yet we now have this gift of Christ, this new representative, man 2.0, but it is described as a gift. And in verse 17, uh, we read, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and this gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We have to receive. It isn't automatic that we get the benefits of what Christ did. A response of faith is required. It only applies to those who receive the gift and so are in Christ. Time is nearly up, we need to wrap up. But what does it all mean for us? What should our response be? What Paul has presented is this amazing summary, comparing and contrasting uh, the awful situation because of Adam for the wonderful situation we can know because of Christ. And so I want to suggest three questions we should be asking ourselves. The first question uh, is, who is my representative? Am I still in Adam or am I in Christ? It must be one or the other. (laughs) If we're not in Christ, we must still be in Adam. When God looks at me, does he see Adam's disobedience or does he see Christ's 
obedience, his righteousness. Who am I in? Adam or Christ? Being in Christ is a gift offered to all, but a gift that we must accept and receive. I must receive this gift by faith, choosing Jesus as my representative instead of Adam, admitting that I don't match God's righteous standard, admitting that I'm spiritually dead with no hope of gaining God's acceptance by my own effort. I need to come in thankfulness, thanking him, thanking God that Christ, his righteous one, paid my penalty so that I can be accepted and enjoy fullness of life because of Jesus. I need to commit to him, to live for him with his help. And so I will find overflowing hope in him. If you haven't done so already, will you say yes to Christ and choose him as your representative today? Uh, I'm sure there'll be opportunity after the service to speak with folk, to pray with folk up at the front if you'd like to explore that further or to make that step. So who is my representative? That's the first crucial question for all of us. But maybe you are already in Christ. Praise God for that. But how does being in Christ affect my daily life? How does it affect your daily life? Because this new life that we have in him should be all-encompassing. Human 2.0 is a fundamentally new model. It's not just a slight upgrade from human 1.0. Everything changes because of Christ. So ask yourself, does this impact every part of my life? My commute to my office, my daily routines, uh, does it impact me when I read the news about Ukraine and other places? Does it impact the time I spend with my friends and my family? Does it impact me when I'm on my own? Does it impact my decision-making, my plans for the future? Is Jesus my representative? Am I talking with him, enjoying time with him? Am I asking for his help along the way? Am I seeking to please him, not to earn favor, but because I'm grateful that I've already found his favor through Christ? Am I living a life of praise? Do others see the difference in me? Do they see me as one who has Christ as their representative? How can I live more effectively for him this week? How can you live more effectively for him this week? So who is my representative? And how does being in Christ affect my day-to-day life? Uh, But the third question is this. Will I share this hope with others? Will I share this amazing news? The world needs this hope. We have an overflowing hope in Christ, and the world needs that hope. If I have grasped the greatness of God, the greatness of his grace towards me in Christ, uh, if I have grasped that, surely it will break my heart to see people living uh, without him, living without any uh, reference to him, without acknowledging him still living with Adam as their representative, not Christ. Remember, this is a universal message. Adam represents all of humankind. This truth applies to all people everywhere, in every place, in every context, not just the people uh, where I live or the people who are like me. People everywhere need to hear this message. And Jesus gave a clear challenge, uh, a clear command to tell 
to go to explain this good news, not just in our local uh, communities, but throughout the world. It's great that we have that map of the world at the back there. Uh, friends, brothers and sisters sent from this place, connected to this church, part of our family, who are taking God's good news around the world. Let's be praying for them, but let's also ask, what is my role? Maybe I could go. Maybe the Lord is calling me to take this news of new life to those who have not yet heard. Who will tell? Will it be you? Again, if you want to talk and pray about that with somebody afterwards, do come up after the service. What wonderful news. As we conclude, just a reminder. Are people good or bad? Am I good or bad? Is the world getting better or worse? Those are the wrong questions. Instead, the question is, am I in Adam or am I in Christ? Human 1.0 or human 2.0? If I am in Christ, I have life. I have hope that overflows. Not because of me, but because of him. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we stand in awe at your goodness, at your grace and your mercy, that while we were still sinners, Christ showed his love for us in dying on the cross, in rising again, so that we might have our sins forgiven and so that we might enjoy life in you. Thank you that in him there is reconciliation we can stand before you because you look at us and see the righteousness of Christ. He is our representative. We worship you. We praise you for the glorious truth of the gospel. Please excite us day by day as we remember again this glorious truth. Thank you that it brings hope. And Father, I pray that we will be those who find our identity in you, and who bring the hope you give us into the hurting world around us. Give us strength this week and in the days ahead to be those who bring your good news to those who are still living without Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.